fasten your seatbelt. I'm taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. If you're going to ask me, so you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. It's the 30-something movie podcast. I don't know why, uh, but I started it. It's almost like, I almost started like Barry White tones. I don't know why. I don't know why I did that. I'm not quite sure. Just feeling it. Feeling the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes they say, I, I don't know what they say, but sometimes they say it. There you go. I'm going to make a Barry White album, except uh, my name, my, my performing name is going to be Very White, and <laughs> it's going to be a parody Barry White album in which I stammer through things that should sound sultry. Very White. Yeah. I like that. You know, you know, baby, sometimes they say... Life is like a box of chocolates. Things that... Li- life is like a box of chocolates... It's like a. You never know. It's it's like a it's got. it's like a screen door on a on a sailboat. Because <laughs> it's gonna leak. I felt like yours turned into Christopher Walken. That was on purpose. Was it on purpose? Okay, I didn't know if you were doing it. Christopher Walken does Forrest Gump. Uh, yeah, you know, I just just uh, life a good time, is yeah. like a box of chocolates. Uncomfortable. You, you never know. Yes. Like this uncomfortable hunk of metal up the box of chocolates. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> At this point, I don't even remember what I, the bit was that I we started. I don't know. It was very white. <laughs> I don't remember was, that. No. Nah, got was, nothing. It was my album, what, Very White. What was the al- what was the one a couple weeks ago that we did that we got punchy on the beginning? Was that Back to the Future 3? No, I think that was uh was that where we had the the Borg were uh, part of IKEA? Oh, something, yes. and yeah. I just remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, my brother enjoyed the uh... assembly is futile. Yes, <laughs> that was that was good. Yeah. Very well played. You know the little Allen wrench coming out of his hand. That mm-hmm. was fantastic. Yep, that's the noise it makes too. Um, all right. Well, we're not here for Star Trek, uh, and we're not here for Very White um, or Barry White. Either one of them. Uh, we are here for Mo Better Blues. Uh, first of all, we are the 30-something movie podcast. We do spoil movies, so um, be warned. Uh, if you'd like to re- leave us a review wherever you get your podcast, uh, iTunes. iTunes tends to be the behemoth of all podcast reviews, so if you want to leave one there, uh, we would really appreciate that. Uh, visit our website. That's another great way to find out more about our show, 30podcast.com. That's the number three zero, the word podcast.com. Uh, I am joined tonight by Pat Canigallo and Bo Warmbold. Gentlemen, how's life? It's great. One day, man. It's great. 
There you go. Surviving. <laughs> Mostly. <Moving. laughs> I, yeah. I I didn't add the word unscathed. I just like surviving. Like there That's is right. there is no everything is scathed right now. There is no unscathed. Steady as she goes, Mr. Mm-hmm. Sulu. Well, give him this. He's consistent. Um <laughs> yeah. so, so our right. movie this time around is Mo Better Blues. Um I don't know if we got any more movie news right now, so I think we'll just jump on right into it. Um, this one came out on the 3rd of August, 1990. It was rated R with a runtime of 2 hours and 10 minutes. Directed, produced, and written by Spike Lee, who also did Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, and Jungle Fever, among others. Cinematography was done by Ernest R. Dickerson, who also did The Brother from Another Planet, Vampires, and Do the Right Thing. Music was done by Bill Lee, who also did Do the Right Thing and She's Gotta Have It. Budget was $10 million, box office was $16.2 million. Flick Metrics gives it a 67%. Cinema score gives it an A. Denzel Washington played Bleak Gilliam. He was in Training Day and Remember the Titans. Spike Lee played Giant. He was in Jungle Fever and Malcolm X. Wesley Snipes, who played Shadow Henderson on Sax. Uh, he was in Blade and Demolition Man. Giancarlo Esposito played Left Hand Lacey on the piano. He was in Breaking Bad, The Usual Suspects, and The Mandalorian. Robin Harris, who died in 1990, played Butterbean Jones. He was in House Party and Do the Right Thing. Joy Lee played Indigo Downs. She was in uh, She's Gotta Have It and Do the Right Thing. Bill Nunn, who died in 2016, played Bottom Hammer on the bass. He was in the Spider-Man movies and Regarding Henry. John Turturro played Mo Flatbush. He was in Barton Fink and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Dick Anthony Williams, who died in 2012, played Big Stop Williams. He was in The Jerk and Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, Cinda Williams played Clark Bettencourt. She was in One False Move, One False Movie, and Caught Up. Nicholas, let's try that again. Nicholas, the word Nicholas. It is Nicholas. Not complicated, but it's Nicholas. Nicholas Turturro played Josh Flatbush. He was in NYPD Blue and the 2005 version of The Longest Yard. Uh, Jeff Tane Watts played Rhythm Jones on drums. Uh, Mo Better Blues, I believe, was his only credit. And Samuel Jackson had a part in this one. He was Madlock. He was in Pulp Fiction and Snakes on a Plane. Sick That's right. And Jeff Tane Watts. Uh, uh, Jeff Tane Watts is actually a a, a drummer. Mm-hmm. It's and I think if I got this right, all the other instruments they could kind of have them. You know, they did a really good job of looking like they were playing those instruments. The actor, but the drummer, it was too hard to get an actor to do that. So they just had uh, Jeff Tane Watts, who the group that was recorded this the Branford Marcellus quartet he was the drummer for I mean the guy is fantastic drummer uh but but yeah he's he's uh he's actually a musician like a working professional musician um and uh they just had him in the movie because it was too hard to have someone act a drummer so nice uh, all right, so this one, financially irresponsible giant, played by Spike Lee, manages a jazz group, but his sax player, Shadow, Wesley Snipes, wants to replace him with a better businessman. Bleak, Denzel Washington, the band's trumpeter, then tries to defend his close pal Giant, leading to a power struggle between the two musicians. Meanwhile, as Bleak tries to straighten things out with his bandmates and manager, he also must choose to be either with the uh, sweet teacher Indigo or sultry singer Clark. I want a man who knows what he wants. Ah, I know what I want. My music, everything else is secondary. What you and I do is not make love. <laughs> what would you call it, Dad? It's definitely not making love. 
Have you ever heard of the Mo Better? Mo what? Mo Better makes it Mo Better. What about Delvis? I like her too. I like women. When you said it was a million in one shot, they wear the same dress and the same day and see each other. <laughs> like it or not, you're a dog. You're a good doggy, but you're a dog nonetheless. Get off! What? What did you call me? Bleak, how in the hell can you call me by her name? Boy, they got all kind of people in this club tonight. Look at that little ugly guy at the bar. Hey, fella! <laughs> Trying to sneak in here in the color section. I see you. He's a horrible manager. Everybody can see that but you. The midget should go bleak. You know my name is Giant. Every night we go over this. Look, Giant is my friend. Giant? That's a joke. Is that a joke? It's a joke. We could manage a little league thing. Minor league. You keep coming up short. <laughs> <laughs> Uh -huh. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's because she's white. Is she white? Because she's white. Yes. Oh. Yeah, she's a nun. Won't give me none. Ain't had none. Told me she didn't, she didn't need none. And since my sweetie left me hollow, well, it ain't the same old place. The Pirates are playing the Mets in a doubleheader. Give me the Pirates in both games and Mets need some more black ball players. What are you gambling again? How much you owe? Don't break him. Let's give him a break. Break his legs, his arms. People are listening. Everybody's deaf, People brother. Ain't nobody listening. People are you got listening boys. to my voice. My boy. You put them lips on the trumpet. Academy Award winner Denzel Washington in a new film from Spike Lee. We thank you for coming because you didn't have to come. You could have stayed home and uh, watched Arsenio Hall or something. <laughs> Mo Better Blues. All right, so I, I know for... Bo, did you say before, too, that this is the first time you'd seen this one? Oh, yeah. Okay. I had never seen this. Okay. All right. So, Pat, you've seen this one before, and you've seen this one several times, it sounds like. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I think I try to catch it at least once or maybe twice a year. Okay. Once, definitely watch it all the way through, and then, you know, if it's on, if I catch bits and pieces of it on, I'll pick it up wherever it's at and mm -hmm. watch it through. Okay. All right. So, in watching this movie, two of us, so the majority of us, having seen this for the first time when we watched this for the podcast, and then Pat, who's seen this several times, um, what was, when you watched this movie, if you can think of the, you know, the single phrase, short phrase, uh, single word even, if you want to, how did you feel after watching this movie? Bo, how did this movie make you feel? Um... That's really tough. It it was. I was intrigued. I think I I found it very interesting. I wanted to see more, though. Like I can't even tell you necessarily what more I wanted. That's it. Sort of left me wanting more, which is good. They say you know leave them wanting more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So unfulfilled. Maybe that's the word. If I was going to use a word. Okay. Yeah, I, for me, for this one, I think I'd have to say um, this movie. I kind of have to. I have to balance this out the way I want to say this. Um, this movie made me feel sympathetic that he was so driven by 
his by his work by his desire to always be better um you know even though as a kid he didn't want that um but he just he was driven into this you know by his by his mother in particular and now that he's here like this is this is his sole purpose in life um and you know relationships everything else that's all secondary um so in that sense sympathetic was how I felt watching this because you're you're watching someone it's less when when Pat recommended this one to us I thought okay it's it's a movie about jazz but it's not really a movie about jazz it's a movie about a musician who happens to play jazz um and the struggles that he's going through now the reason why I said I kind of wanted to to temper my word sympathetic is and this is just for me personally um I am not I am not, and hopefully my boss is not listening, I am not the type of person that I'm so driven by my work and my career that I'm going to do that to the detriment of relationships. Um, that's not me, and that's not how I handle those type of things. So that's where I struggled a little bit. This is a long single phrase or word. Uh, I'm just going to put that out there. Um, I'm using the the Pat Canigallo method of a single word or phrase. Um, I, I learned from the master. Um, <laughs> There's lots of single words, right? Just every, I use a lot of them. Everything I have said is a single word, just strung together. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Words and sentences, um, left or right. Read, it's called reading. Um, yeah, so I, I think part of that too is I, I'm I'm sympathetic to watching him go through everything that he goes through, but at the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, dude, you're also kind of a jerk. Like I, I got to be sympathetic to the people around you too, because I, I can't just, this is not a one-sided thing. I can't just feel sorry for you and everything that you're going through. I got to feel sorry for the people that you're dumping on because you are so single-mindedly focused. Um, but I also want to be careful how I say that because for some people, that's their personality. They are, they have a single-minded focus, a laser focus, and that's how they are. And that's how they live. Um, you know, and, and to a point that's a, that may be a person's personality and that's just something they have to deal with. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell somebody that can't be their personality, but I do feel sorry for the other people in their life when they suffer because of that. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get a little bit more in depth, uh, kind of on, on our, our thoughts on that, but that's kind of my, I'll use the word sympathetic as mine. Pat, what about you? You've seen so you've seen this one regularly. This this sounds like this is probably a favorite of yours. Yeah, I really I really like this movie. I first saw it in college. You know, I mean, uh, right when I got, I think it was my freshman year of music school, and I'd never seen it. And you know, I mean, uh, it was like all the guys in the jazz studio. You know, there's about twenty or thirty of us crowd into a house, and you know, we're all watching this film. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was you know only about eight or nine or 10 of us or whatever, but it was a bunch of us. We got together and I was really taken with it. And um, that's right when I was, you know, going into music school. So, you know, that was kind of live, not living that life, but being involved in music all the time. So, yeah, I, I was really taken with this movie and, um, I, you know, different points of your life, you react to different parts of a movie, you know, as you go. But this time, I, I guess the word I'd use was beautiful. I just found the whole story arc. I mean, just watching it come full circle, which given parts of the film, it might be kind of like, dude, how can you say beautiful to that? But I mean, if you look at the whole story arc, you know, where he started, where he ended up, um, the characters in there 
I thought no one, you know, and I'm maybe I'm totally missing this, but no one in this movie really seemed to be a cardboard cutout. You know, it like I didn't quite get the feeling of, OK, you know what this guy's all about. Like, you know, when you look at it as a whole. OK, so like, OK, this is, you know, that's the manager. That's the good friend. But he's got the gambling problem and blah, 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 blah. But again, all the characters kind of went through an arc and all the characters kind of had levels to him. The relationships had levels to him. Um, his his girlfriends, multiple. They were, you know, complex, interesting characters um, that when he was just treating them kind of like, well, I'm got, here's my, me getting over the one phrase, but I'll just leave it at that. So when you look at that whole thing and then see where he ended up and seeing, you know, how his family grew and, uh, you know, I mean, that whole montage at the end when it was showed his family starting and all that. And, and I mean, they, uh, I mean, I, I just found that the whole story beautiful. I thought the, the, the scenes, the way they, and I don't know if it's just lighting or setting or whatever. I, the, 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 the sets looked really were beautiful. The lighting was beautiful. The imagery was beautiful. I, the soundtrack was phenomenal. I mean, just like I personally, like I couldn't ask for any more with the soundtrack. I thought that was just amazing. Um, so like all those different elements of it, it, it was just, you know, it was just, it was just beautiful. It was just a, like a beautiful story. And um, yeah, so that would be my one word. And then my yeah. six trillion word explanation, why I have one word. Okay. That works. That works. All right. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear, cause I think Bo, I, I know maybe before we started recording, you started looking down to see if on the list of Spike Lee movies, if you had seen any others and I, right. I, I, off the top of my head, if you had asked me, have you seen a Spike Lee movie? I'm like, Oh yeah, of course I've seen a Spike Lee movie. And then I realized when I was watching this and then I was looking on IMDb, I have not watched a Spike Lee movie. So this would be the first yeah, one. I'm realizing um, I haven't either. It's crazy. You know, and, and for somebody who's such a, you know, such a personality of a director uh, and a producer, I'm really kind of surprised. Like that would be like, you know, I feel like that would be like somebody being like, hey, have you ever seen a Quentin Tarantino movie? And I'd be like, yeah, totally I have. Okay, well, show me which one you... Be oh, actually, no, I've never seen Quentin Tarantino. Like, I, that would... To me, that would, like, boggle my mind. If you're somebody who likes movies and you haven't seen at least one movie of this particular director. Um, so I was kind of surprised when I looked at the list. I was like, no, actually, I thought I had, but I have not. So, um, So how did you feel... It, because he is such a personality um, and, and so much of him comes into all of his movies, and, and sometimes literally he is in his movies, um, and this one as well as Giant. So, Bo, how is this as your, if, if this is your first experience with a Spike Lee movie, how was it? It was good. Was it what you expected? I liked it. Um, you know, it, it... I have to admit, the character that he played, I wasn't a huge fan of. Mm -hmm. like, I almost could have done without Giant. I get yeah. some of the conflict, you know, that's how you tell a story. But mm -hmm. uh, I kind of just wanted to focus on Bleak and, you know, what was going on there without the Giant stuff sometimes. Mm -hmm. But as far as the movie itself, it was very good. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I was... 
I, I was entertained by the movie. I think there were there were certain things about it that is like I thought it was going to go one direction, and when it didn't, I was like, oh, but but I kind of wanted to see that movie. Um, so I think for me, that's where pieces, there were pieces where, uh, and, and him too, like the, the character of giant, I'm, I'm right there with you, Bo. I, I'm like, you know, I could have done a little bit less of a little bit less giant maybe would have helped me out in, in watching this movie. Um, and there were just certain parts that I, I really kind of wished they, they seemed for a moment to kind of go off onto a little bit of a, it almost seemed like a little bit of a tangent. And the one I can think of in particular is when, um, bleak and shadow are in one of the clubs and they're arguing about why you know their people why black people are not coming to the jazz shows like they're and they're arguing with each other it was a great scene great probably my favorite scene in the whole movie um was the two of them arguing about that and as they're arguing about that i'm sitting there in the back of my mind and i'm thinking huh this movie's not bad but i kind of want to see that movie like I want to see the movie where that's the that's the like central conflict. You can still have it where you're following Bleak and you're following his career and his drive and and all of that. But to me, I other than I, I guess that's my one thing that I have as that I see as a flaw with the movie is other than watching a driven musician do what he can to be the best that he can and and keep his band together and and keep them on track and keep them as driven as he is. Um, you know, other than that, I'm not sure that I could tell you what the kind of central conflict of the movie was, other than his drive and, and how that could sometimes, you know, get himself in trouble. Um, I would have, like I said, I would have liked to have seen some of those other things that they kind of branch off and and start to address. Um, so that was the only thing for me. I, I think that's the only thing uh, in terms of, and I don't even want to say things that I didn't enjoy about the movie, but I think places where I saw maybe some flaws were it, it seemed some of the storytelling seemed a little disjointed. And I don't know because I don't, I will fully admit. And, and I've, I've said this before and Pat, I know you're the, you know, you're, you're the jazz guy on here. Um, jazz is, is not my style of music, especially the, the more, even they, they even say it in the movie, the more experimental the jazz. Uh, I think sometimes um, that's not my style of music. And mm-hmm. so I wondered, and, and maybe, you know, if you have, if you have a thought on this, I wondered if the, and I hate to use the word disjointed, that's just the word that's in my head right now, um, you know, so, uh, improvisation maybe is a better word. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of jazz, the very little I know about jazz is that a lot of it can be improvised. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of a central tenant of a lot of jazz music. And just for me personally, that's not a style of music that I gravitate toward. And mm-hmm. so I also wondered as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, is it disjointed storytelling or is the storytelling trying to mimic a jazz composition, you know, mm-hmm. by improvising a little bit and, and branching off? And maybe these things aren't necessarily connected, but they're, they're kind of connected through the thin tendrils of, of the story of Bleak and his life. Right. So um, that I don't know. I, I will fully admit I'm, I'm not versed enough in the history of jazz um, and and kind of the the culture of jazz music to really know if that's what he was doing, if that's what Spike Lee was doing with this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, if so, I think that's I think that's really interesting. It's a really interesting way to piece the movie together. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and you know I I would be curious. 
I'd, I'd be curious to know if that was his intention, if that's what he was trying to do. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting to you know kind of get in his head and see how you know how he came up with some of these scenes and and all of that. Um, I know that one scene that you reference. I you know I'm gonna I'm gonna be careful. I mean, yeah, and I'll you know freely admit jazz is my favorite kind of music from a very young age. I mean, my first kind of music that I fell in love with, and the reason that I'm involved in music today and all this kind of stuff. But I, I mean, I'm, I freely admit, I'm not going to assign myself the expert, you know, tag and any of that kind of thing. But I do know, especially, you know, when jazz was kind of coming to prominence and well, coming back to prominence, you know, there was kind of that, like, you know, the resurgence, you know, there's the times when jazz is functioning as the pop music and that's what everyone's listening to. And then there's the time when it's kind of more in the art music realm. And I know that that was like a constant discussion, right? That would always be whether it was professionals like depicted in this movie or college kids studying jazz music, or, you know, you read the articles written up in the magazine. That was always the discussion. Um, so that's when they were discussing that, that was kind of like, man, I remember sitting there in dorm rooms, like listening, you know, having, uh, you know, new album. So-and-so just released this new album. Okay. We all get together and listen to the album, break it down, listen to it. You know, back in the day, you could say, where are the grooves out of the album? Um, and, uh, you know, have that discussion, like, you know, what, you know, what's, what's going on? Like, which direction do we take it? Do we, do you make it more popular? Do you make it more artistic? You know, what do people want to listen to? Um, you know, and you talk about performers that, you know, these are the, this is the music that they play and this is what they do so that they, they can put, you know, food on the table, but then this is the kind of music that they want to play. You know, like it, it was, there was always that discussion. And actually it's funny. I was down at a, uh, at the jazz showcase downtown and uh, there was a guy, you know, sitting next to me cause uh, well, obviously, and they're not doing this now at the jazz showcase, but you know, that was where, you know, they say packing them in and you would, you'd just be sitting, you know, at, at a table, like shoulder to shoulder with people in that. And uh, I kind of struck up a conversation with the guy next to me and he was actually echoing a lot of the stuff that uh, the, um, the, the um, bleak Gilliam character was saying in this movie about, you know, um, and that's exactly how he phrased it. He's, he's like, I look around and I see the people here and, you know, um, you know, and, and I, if I remember right, he was phrasing it like, he's like, I want to see more of my people here. And this is, this is, the, you know, and he, and I remember just having the conversation with him about it and, and, um, you know, just to kind of spread the word and get the music out there and all that. So, I mean, that conversation, you know, I, I see what you're saying. I, I don't want to approach it from an argumentative standpoint because I, I see what you're saying when you look at the story as a whole but then, but it's funny because I've never looked at it that way because that was a conversation that I remember hearing and growing up with and reading about and professionals were talking about and, you know, just friends of mine that went into performing and how they're balancing that or what kinds of music they're performing and, um, and, and all that. So, you know, that, that conversation seemed very uh, vivid. Um, vivid is the wrong word, but prevalent in the jazz circles at the time. Um, you know, and you mentioned like Spike Lee, I have not, I mean, and that was the thing is like, I've, I've seen a, a number of his films 
and the kind of the list of the ones that I want to see is, you know, there's, there's still a bunch that I want to see. And I know that we were talking a couple of weeks back. He just, they just released the one on Netflix, the Vietnam where the veterans go back to Vietnam, the five bloods. And uh, that one's also a great film, but it's interesting because I, I, when you say it kind of the movie goes in a direction you don't expect whenever I, I, I've the, the Spike Lee movies that I've seen, um, th- that's always what it is. And I always get like, man, it's just a different perspective, right? It's just like it, the movies go in a different, it's kind of not, a, it's unexpected. Like, like the way he decides to unfold his story or have his characters act, it always kind of catches me by surprise. And, and that seems to be in a lot of his movies. It's like, Oh, wow. I, I didn't expect that to happen. That's pretty crazy. You know? And, and, um, Sometimes it's as simple as a simple scene goes left as opposed to right. And sometimes it's like a whole arc, a whole story arc is just going in a different direction, you know? Um, So anyways, I didn't just to kind of jump off your conversation. uh, And with that, that conversation in particular um, as to, you know, jazz music and how do we, you know, advance the art that they were having. Yeah. Bo, what about you? Were there other things? What were some other things that kind of stuck out as you for seeing this for the first time? What were some other things that stuck out to you or, or things that you really kind of gravitated towards in this? I loved the, I loved the, the way the, even though they fought, I don't know. I don't know how to say that. But I, I I really enjoyed like some of the back room stuff and how some of them, anytime you get a group of people together, there's always somebody who takes it more seriously than somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you had the women who weren't supposed to be back in the dressing room. That scene to me stood out. Um, I love the jazz clubs. Like I am not very immersed in jazz, but whenever I get to it, I enjoy it. So just the concept of watching some of that, I think that's part of why I wanted more. I think I need to watch the movie again <laughs> because I was so in, wrapped up in some of the stuff that maybe wasn't what the movie was about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Have, um, have you guys ever been to like, uh, like the jazz showcase or um, some of the jazz club or any of those? Guys? Okay. I think I'd have a blast. It's just one of those things like, you don't think about it till it's too late. You forget, you know, that sort of thing. And, yeah. you know, sit me down at a, I, I love live music. Sit me down at a table with a cocktail and, and a good musician and I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. It's when, when everything opens up, we'll have to all go. We'll find some good awesome. shows that coming back through and we'll go check that out. That would be outstanding. Yeah, I like the conversation, you know, when they go back and they're giving the guy a hard time because he keeps he keeps showing up late. And it's like, man, and and I think it's anything in life. But I mean, it's like, yeah, you definitely don't like that's one of the immortal rules of musicianship. Like, yeah, I don't of gigs. Right. Like, don't go up late. And that guy's just like he shows up and his girlfriend and then they're busting on that guy. And and I, you know. She's like doing his hair in the dressing yeah. room. What I wasn't even his hair. It was something like tying his tie. You know. And then when he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm late. What did I miss?" Well, we were just about to do that. Oh, so I didn't miss anything. And it was like, "Oh, dude!" And they all reacted like that. They're like, "Dang, what is wrong with you?" Oh, no, you, you know? No, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. 
And you know what I find interesting about the dressing room is the way they set it up is someone always has their back to him. Like, like when they're focusing right. on him in the mirror, Wesley Snipes character is always kind of looking over his shoulder, which I thought was a really cool effect. And then there's some, there's another scene where, you know, like they're focusing and I forget where it was, but they, they like, it was in the dressing room and it was like, one of the characters that they were having was facing away and you were like, so they do some real cool things with the way they position. I don't know what the official technical term is. You know, I don't gaffer tape or whatever you call it. You guys, technical people call it, but it's just like where they have the the actors positioned and then where they put the camera is really, Mm -hmm. it kind of, it adds a lot to the scene, I think, you know, and that, that was one of them. Yeah. But, just trying to think what else stood out some of the some of the (laughs) more interesting uh things that didn't really what stood out to me was again i keep coming back a lot of stuff that maybe the movie wasn't about but were just thrown in like the whole scene at the guy's place where they're talking about how she counts as rubbers (laughs) yeah that's hysterical It's well, nothing that, to do with any nothing to do with anything else. It's just there to be there. But God damn, that was funny. Well, and, and then when he's just like he's talking to him. Does it smell? And he's and like, Well, if you she's got your rubbers, why don't you just stop? Bring in another woman. He just looks at him, he's like, nah. Well, like <laughs> that's it, not the answer here. Yeah, it it keeps like, Do you smell that? Okay, that's it. I gotta change your sh-. you know, and he goes through the whole thing. And <laughs> ridiculous. I know. I know. And that when he gets the album back, he's just like, did he scratch the, you he know, scratched. he's checking out, he's checking out the album and, yeah. and everything. Well, and see, that's kind of the thing is that you like, and, and I, my takeaway from that was just that these are like, you know, these characters have multiple layers to them. Now in some of it might seem, well, it just doesn't advance the story, but they, you know, it's, he kind of showed the eccentricities of all the different, of all these different guys. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, you know, and, and, and like John, you said, it's like, it's not a movie about jazz. It's more just almost like a movie about life. You know, how these different guys like are choosing to live their life and what their sense of morality is slash how does that fit in with their work-life balance slash what is important to the, you know, all that kind of thing. And that's where, like for me, when, when you look at, you know, when you look at that, it's like, oh, well, of course that scene that seems nonsensical would be in there because they're just trying to show one more facet of what this character, what this character is about. Now, that's just, just was my takeaway. Now, I'm, you know, that's not to say someone else's was different, but um, yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I enjoyed all the different, the interactions between the characters. I mean, it really, it really was it was fun to watch them interact with each other. I mean, it was fun to watch, even though you knew he was going to totally get himself in trouble, you know, his relationship with each of the two women, um, mm-hmm. right. you know, it, they were each, you know, each, each had its own little, you know, individual quirks and, and, and things about that relationship. And, you know, you, you get to the scene where they both show up to the club wearing the same dress that he mm-hmm. bought for both. And I love how Wesley Snipes does that whole scene. He's like, you remember <clears throat> when I t- was it Wesley Snipes or was it uh, or was it Spike Lee? I was it was I feel like it was it no 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 it might have been Spike Lee. He's like you remember that time that I bet you fifty bucks that uh, you know if you, if you did that it was going to come back to get you. 
you owe me 50 bucks. <laughs> yeah, right. that was good. He's like, remember that time? <laughs> yeah, I won. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. He just, he when he's even, sitting at just, the bar and he sees them both walk in and mm-hmm. he's like looking one yep. way. Yep. And it's like he's on me so and he's looking the other way. And then just the just the look on his face as he hands over the fifty bucks. It's like there's not even a there's not even an argument. It's not even like a no, they're not. It, it just he knows. He hands over that fifty dollars and he's just like, okay, mm-hmm. okay. It, it's it's like a little bit of like a shocked. What do I do? But at the same time, huh? Yeah, right. yeah. He didn't. <laughs> that that's a good point. He doesn't freak out. No. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like start running around. He doesn't. I feel like if this movie was made today, he'd come up with some crazy scheme mm-hmm. to try to make sure they never saw each other. He's just like, nah, I'm cool. Well, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that's the, maybe that's the jazz musician in him is he can improvise. Right. Yeah, maybe he's, he's, he's but I mean, I think that also just that showed he, he didn't care. <laughs> right. Right. True. He's just like, it's like, this isn't making me a better or worse trumpet player. So mm-hmm. like, I told you it's cool. Like, I mean, you know, and yeah. that, I'm trying to calm you down, but you're not going to get calmed down. All right. Bye now. Right. You know, and then that's when he start, it starts to click that he's like all alone, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and that's where, and that's where I, that, those were some of the times that I had trouble feeling sympathy for his character was because I got the sense at, at some point when he, you know, when he broke up with the first girl and then like there was an argument with the second girl, I, there was a point in there where just, as part of his character, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, God, is he just going to break up with both of, both of them? Because in his mind, he's sitting there thinking, again, like you said, well, this doesn't do anything for my music. And there's going to be a third girl out there somewhere. So, you know, who, yeah. who needs these two? Um, you know, and with something like that, that's not, well, first of all, that whole situation is not something that, you know, I, I would get myself into anyway, but. Um, <laughs> Good save. Yeah. Um but that's something where I'm looking at that. I'm going, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for you, buddy. Yeah. Like you, you're kind of bringing this on yourself. I mean, I, I get the, I get the drive. I, I get that. But at the same time, I, as a character, as a person in this movie, I, I can't, there's certain times I can feel a little sympathy for you. This is not one of those times. Yeah. And, you, and you brought this, on I yourself. mean, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just said you brought this on yourself. Yeah, and you know it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, and again, I know we always talk about sensibilities and how things move on in thirty years and all that. And obviously, I'd, I'd like a female perspective to make sure I'm not speaking out of turn. But I kind of like that Clark and Indigo, they don't like go with it. Like it's just like, dude, this is enough. Like I'm walking out. Like what's your problem? And then even at the end when he's like or not end, but like at the, before we go into the final act, when he's just like, okay, the trumpet got stolen from him or taken from him. This got taken, you know, he just doesn't know where to go. And the door opens up. It's like, you know, the Indigo character is like, he's got to convince her. She's just like, where have you been for the last year? Like I've been reaching out and you didn't want to see me like what, you know, and he's got to, you know, kind of like prove that to her. You know what I'm saying? And, and the Clark character it's like, yeah, she's gone. It's not like she's going back to help him. You know what I'm saying? So I think they wrote those characters as, as, as like actual living people, not just, Oh, it's okay. Let me comfort you. You know, it wasn't the, 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 the doting girlfriend that helped him out. Like he had to, he had to fight his way back for what was important. And he chose to make it be her. 
Now, again, I mean, maybe a female perspective would be a little different. Like, yeah, Pat, you're kind of glossing over some stuff. But I, I thought that was interesting that the way they wrote the women in this movie as well. So. Yeah, because for you're right, because for a while they seemed to be OK with it. And then they weren't, mm -hmm. you know, and they didn't quite delve into. Well, I guess they did. They told you that they knew about each other. Mm -hmm. Just didn't hit the fan till later. And right. again, I, I said it earlier, if that movie was made today, they wouldn't have known about each other. There was some big farce about them finding out. Right. Right. But um, at least he didn't pull a Greg Brady and try to date two of them at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Run back and forth. Exactly. Now, there is one thing, I, and not having seen any other Spike Lee movies, I, I don't know how much this plays into it. I always thought of, when I, when I thought of Spike Lee movies, I thought of a few different things. I thought, you know, definitely New York, like it, it very similar to a, maybe like a Woody Allen or something like that. It's, it's very much in a time and place. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. you, you know where this is taking place and it's, um, I, I believe typically New York, um, or always New York maybe. Um, and then especially from this one, I think maybe just from the movie, uh, cover, like the DVD cover or the VHS cover, um, it's very colorful on the front cover of this yeah. movie. And that's something that I always, even though I haven't seen Spike Lee movies, I always kind of attach that to Spike Lee is like a very distinctive and vibrant use of color. And this movie was no different. Like there were plenty of times where you had just these entire scenes bathed in color. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you had the scenes where, and, and I think wasn't it that way in the opening credits too. Didn't you have in the opening credits, you had, uh, didn't you have some of the sheet music and sometimes the background was, um, you know, it was, it was purple. Sometimes it was like a bright yellow, um, but very colorful uh, music in the opening credits. And then you, and, and same thing with, you know, showing some of the scenery of in the opening credits, you know, the, a blue, uh, I want to say like a trumpet at some point, but the entire image is just, it's, it's been tinted blue. Um, and then as you go through the rest of the movie, I mean, there are plenty of times red in particular keeps showing up as a color. Um, pretty obviously, I think most times that he's about to get himself in trouble. Um, you know, if, for lack of a better term, if you want to say uh, he, he's about to he's about to sin, he's about to get himself mm -hmm. in some trouble. Um, you have red that shows up quite a bit. Um, I think that, you know, it, it seemed like in the scene where later on when he gets beat up um, and I don't know if I'm just if I'm remembering this incorrectly or not. Um, I felt like. You know, the, the thing I noticed when he was being beaten up is in that alleyway, there, I don't feel like there was a whole lot of other color, um, mm -hmm. but I feel like there was, like the inside of the club was red. Um, I feel like the blood on him when he had been beaten up, that that was fairly prominent. And doesn't he kind of, doesn't he either spit or kind of splatter some blood um, mm -hmm. at some point? And, you know, so I, I think the use of color, or you had some scenes where, I feel like when she's singing at the end of the movie, she's entirely kind of encased in blue. 
There's like mm-hmm. blue neon lights in the background. And it, so, you know, that's just another thing of, of a Spike Lee movie that I kind of wondered if I would see because that's something I, even though I haven't seen his movies, I have read about, I have heard about his movies. And that was something that d- didn't disappoint either was just kind of his use of color and how that's supposed to correspond to the the tone and the feeling of the scenes. One place where I kind of wish maybe certain things had been done a little differently is because I always thought of, of Spike Lee movies as being very visually vibrant or maybe even sometimes jarring. Um, mm-hmm. There were times, and, and maybe that's the giant character, and maybe that's why I didn't like him as much, is, and this could be a little bit of a, a, a meta comment too, um, sometimes I kind of just wish Spike Lee would shut up. Mm-hmm. Like I really want a giant to just shut up. And there were certain times where the scenery in the or the color in the scene was so vibrant and just so visual. There were times that I was like, you don't need talking in this scene. Mm-hmm. Just show me the scene. Maybe there's music in the background and, and the music or maybe there's music in the foreground. Let the music speak for itself. Let the visuals speak for themselves and just, just be quiet. Just be quiet for a moment and just let this let this rest, let this sit. Um, and that's a comment I've, I've, I've heard about. I was listening to another podcast recently, and I don't remember what they were talking about, but they said kind of the same thing. They're like, you know what? You know, oh, it was, um, it was uh, not Greatest Generation, uh, Greatest Discovery. I've been going back and listening to the Greatest Discovery ones, and they were saying that's what they felt the difference was between classic – Trek, whether it was original series, next generation, even Deep Space Nine versus Star Trek Discovery, is Star Trek Discovery does not give you time in a scene in the show to contemplate things. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of it is, you know, action, action, action. It's, you know, drive the story, drive the story. Whereas you'd have moments, especially in next generation, where, you know, people would be given four or five seconds before you go to a commercial break to just sit in that scene and contemplate, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's kind of that, that's kind of that TV thing of, you know, somebody just kind of looking off in the distance and as we kind of slowly zoom in or zoom out before we go to commercial. But I think that that's something that, you know, there's a time and a place to use that. And I just felt like, I just felt like with this one in particular, there were certain scenes that I, I just wanted there to be maybe even a little less dialogue and, mm-hmm. and let the, let the music, let the music carry that scene or let the visuals carry that scene and you don't need the talking. Mm-hmm. So that, that I kind of wish maybe there had been a little bit more of a balance between those things. You'd like more of like the scenes where, you know, he was really struggling. He was up playing on the bridge or mm-hmm. like at the end, like actually even that montage when, you know, he and Indigo are, are, you know, she's pregnant and, you know, they I think they're watching the sun come up and mm-hmm. the way they do the lighting is very like you'd like a little bit more like that as opposed to the. I and, and not that and not that Spike Lee annoys me like uh, Woody Allen. I, I cannot stand Woody Allen. I, I mm-hmm. unless we're doing it for the podcast and I will actively try to keep Woody Allen movies off the podcast because I just don't like him. Um, you know, it, it's not like that. But there's just something, and not having seen any of his his other movies, I don't know, but just the character of Giant, 
Mm-hmm. I think that character in particular, if you were to remove that character from this movie, if you were to find some other way to have them get in trouble and get beat up at the end or, or whatever it might be, I feel like if you remove that character, you would have had you would have had still the same movie, but you wouldn't have had just like the constant talking, just his constant talking. I was like, God, just shut your mouth and just let the scene. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm all for good dialogue. I'm all for good dialogue. I'm, I'm all for these interactions, everything. But there were just times where I just wanted, I wanted to be able to absorb the scene without the distraction of him, you know, running, yeah. running his mouth although, the entire time. Although, like, that was what everyone was telling him, was you got to get rid of Giant. Right. And, and, so me, I, and me as a viewer watching the movie is like, dude, you got to get rid of Giant. Like I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna enjoy your movie a whole lot more if you get rid of Giant. <laughs> well, and that's right? what they. So, so <laughs> you, you, like you say that maybe the, you know, he wrote scenes as improvisatory to be like jazz. So he maybe he wrote the Giant character to kind of like viscerally tell the audience. You know, I don't even know if mm-hmm. viscerally is if I use that right. Did I just literally use viscerally incorrect? Well, um, ir- but ir- I mean, if ir- they irregar- write the character irregardless, Giant, I'm gonna let you. Irregardless, I'm gonna let you use it. Yeah, the, uh, you know, like the two guys at the door that are like, yeah, you got to get rid of that guy. He doesn't know yeah. what he's talking about. His the the two owners of the club, his band, his oh, girlfriends, the, the everyone. Of the club, how cliche were they? Yeah, yeah, well, I, I know. I, I was reading up, and and Spike Lee got in trouble for that. Yeah, yeah, really? that he was he was accused of being anti-Semitic because of that, and his response back was that he was shocked. He was like, "Well, I I'm like I wasn't trying to." He's like. My lawyer is Jewish, and like we, I didn't really have a problem with any of this. He didn't have a problem with any of this, and then all of a sudden, like people got really upset about it, and so he was like, you know, if you want to continue on in this business, you're you're gonna have to issue some kind of an apology. So he had to write like an op-ed piece in the New York Times, uh, wow. and and the, and the headline was something like, "I am why I am not an anti-Semite" or something like that. Son, at the end, it's time got the okay. Where'd it go? There it is. <laughs> Stupid patch blade. Oh my god, that's funny. Uh, no, there's two O's in Goose Boys. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, as far as the jazz music thing goes, my my humble understanding of it is is the roots are all in uh, slavery, mm-hmm. right? And it was basically the music that the the African slaves, I don't want to say were allowed, but the music that they, that could not be like the slave masters could not beat out of them was basically the music that like African music, right. But like instruments and all those, that was, you know, explicitly, explicitly for, forbidden. So that's where like, and uh, that's where like the blues grew out of like what we call the blues, the idea, like even the patterns of singing it. Like if you listen to a BB King song mm-hmm. where you have a statement, a repeat and an answer, like simple blues forms or, or basic, I should say fundamental blues forms kind of grew out of this slave music. And they were, it was referred to as work songs or spirituals and much of their music, they were singing about their day-to-day kind of life. So that's where the earliest roots of jazz music, but also what we call the blues um, kind of came from. And there, you know, as, as that music grew, that became a very um, uh, important part of not just African slaves, but this new African-American culture that was still enslaved, but growing up in this, in this country. 
if you see, you know, the movie Glory, where the night before the battle, when they're all singing by the campfire, mm-hmm. that's a great example of early, what you would call kind of like the roots of like blues music, the roots of jazz in America. And there's many of the characteristics. So zooming ahead through the, you know, emancipation and, you know, this, this, this music that now is a part of a, um, you know, the African-American culture was alive in this country and New Orleans, everyone, you know, jazz was born in New Orleans and there were spots in New Orleans where you had this, like this melting pot of all different kinds of music. You had this blues tradition, this work, you know, the, the slave music tradition, and that would get jammed up against uh, Latin music that was coming up. Um, they would get jammed up against European classical music. And so you had someone would pick up a trumpet, a European classical instrument, pick a song, uh, but then they would play it in a manner that was more fitting with the blues style, right? And that was, like I said, right around the turn of the last century in New Orleans. And then it was through the like 1900 into about 1920, suddenly you started hearing the term jazz being applied to it, right? And obviously, like anything, no one said, I'm going to invent jazz music. But there were all these, you know, guys like Jelly Roll Morton, uh, Scott Joplin, you know, the music of, called ragtime. Now, is ragtime jazz? Well, you know, if you're going to split hairs, not really. But this was all different kinds of music that was going on at these times that shared characteristics. And then by about the 1920s, that's right when you start to hear the term jazz being applied. Um, there were many, like Duke Ellington, I, I think it was Duke Ellington or Louis Armstrong, I think it was, that said, I'm not, never really referred to himself as a jazz musician. He just said, I'm a, I'm, I'm a musician that plays the blues, was what he would say. You know, so, you know, it's kind of like we apply the labels later so we can categorize the music. But, I, but that is kind of where that jazz music was born. And then once that started, it went through all different shapes and sizes and it's very, very unique to whoever is playing it, right? So, you know, the idea being that, like, pick a tune. The way Bo's going to play it, the way you're going to play it, the way I'm going to play it, we're all going to play it a little bit differently based on how are we feeling at the time, life experience, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, and there, it was largely improvised, you know, and a lot of that had roots all the way back to African music. And you see that today, fast forwarding, I mean, you know, freestyle rap. Is a, is a great example of it. The guitar solo in in rock and roll music is all kind of an example of what grew out of that. And so you had, you know, and I'm trying to zoom through the music history lesson here without being totally pedantic, but um, you had many different styles go. And the first time that 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 jazz really became kind of the pop music was by the 1920s, it was spreading. It came up from New Orleans, it spread to Chicago, it spread to New York, and you had musicians um, like making this wonderful music. It was getting noticed by Europe, but the problem was it hadn't gained widespread popularity in the US, partly you know, for a number of reasons. One, a lot of the places in the 20s it was being played as clubs, you had prohibition going on. So you got music being played in clubs where a lot of illegal stuff was happening parts of society would look and associate the music with the culture and like, okay, well, we don't want any part of that. Obviously, uh, racism 
then and now is a huge problem. And so they would look at that music and say, well, it's being played by black musicians. So that's substandard. And it would be judged on that point. And so you had this fantastic music going on, but it didn't get widespread popularity till about the 1930s. And then in the 1930s, big band and swing music had been going and building in the tw 20s. But by the time you get to the 30s and 40s, suddenly it exploded. And that's where the names Duke Ellington, Count Basie, Tommy Dorsey, Glenn Miller, you know, it was spreading and you had not only largely black musicians playing it, but you had black and white musicians and it was spreading and people were uh, more accepting of it. It went to war in the Second World War. The radio helped spread it. So people were entertained during the depression. And that's kind of right where Nat King Cole fits in when jazz was the, the popular music. You get what I'm saying? And so yeah. there really is no one defining thing that is jazz. So yeah, Nat, Nat King Cole falls under that shroud of jazz music, but it's such a big shroud that there are many different kinds of music within that. And I'll, I'll stop my patsplaining. <laughs> Waiting for the buzzer. Oh. See, you guys, you, you do this. I'm sorry. Like, I'm you sorry. Just, you I spring okay. this on me and I'm like, okay, do it again. I'll, I'll stop my patsplaining. <laughs> There you go. You know, and, and not go through all the different twists and turns of, but that was a real debate by the end of the 40s because you had, they called it the bebop, you know, Dizzy Gillespie mm -hmm. and yeah. Charlie Parker took the music, which in big band, you know, it was big full bands. There was a lot of stuff that was written so people could dance to it. The, you know, they had room for solos, but a lot of it was organized and written down. So you knew your tunes and, and it, was, it, was, it was easy for people to consume easier and you had guys like dizzy gillespie and charlie parker that said no we we want to make it more challenging we want to we want to push the boundaries so they went off in one direction and then you had rock and roll born out of jazz music where artists took it the other direction and said we're going to focus on the melody we're going to focus on guitar riffs we're going to straighten out the beat so you get that like rock and roll you know -na 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 you know like that groove feeling to it and that's where rock and roll kind of grew out of it. So the music really diverged at that point. And then at that point, everything that you hear after that, really, and this isn't supposed to be a slight, but it's just the idea of music being in a continuum, rock and roll grew out of that. So anything that came out after rock, whether it's rock and then soul and then funk, which leads to rap, which leads to, you know, or rock, which leads to metal, to all of it has its roots in the jazz sound, which has its roots in slave music. So that's kind of how it all connects. But that being said, back to your original question, before I went off on my, my tangent, is Nat King Cole would count because, or count, Nat King Cole would be considered under the jazz shroud because if you listen to all the music that was going on at that time, that's kind of what jazz music sounded like. Okay. And, and now, like later on, I'm sure, you know, especially, you know, later people that are trying to rebel against an earlier jazz sound or vice versa. You have more traditionalists that say we don't like this contemporary sounding stuff. Um, you know, other than those folks that might say, well, that doesn't count. Don't listen to that. Music is kind of part of a continuum. So no one's like checking their jazz credentials. Like the idea is, well, that's his voice. That's his style. So we're going to respect that. 
this is something do you get what i'm mm-hmm. saying so it's it's yeah. it's kind of more of an all-inclusive thing now we look back and we have to categorize it so when you click on it in the you know the pandora or the spotify category you know you know what you're getting but that that music very much would kind of fit within a with under the context of jazz but if you compare what you hear with nat king cole to what you hear this movie open up with i mean that's like a you know, what would that be? 60 year difference right, right. with many different influences. And Hey, we're, we don't want this to be like super easy to dance to. And we don't want necessarily song. We want to challenge the audience. Like you better, you know, Dizzy Gillespie wrote this thing called things to come this tune called things to come because it was just like, you know, he was upset because there were, <laughs> there were white bands that would listen to his music, transcribe it, write it out for their bands play it and record it, his music before he had a chance to. So they were kind of stealing his stuff. So he wrote a tune that was so fast, so challenging. It's like no one else could, no one else, no other bands would be able to hack it. And he titled it things to come because this music is too advanced for you. You know, these are things to come, you know, so they, there were people that were like pushing those bounds. Well, there were still people saying like, like very much the argument in this movie, there were other people saying, well, wait, we alienate the people like you, that's not how, so then that's the eternal argument, you know, like which direction do you want to go with the, with the music? So, and you can go and still hear the big band sound today and you can go and hear some very avant-garde jazz and where it's, you know, not that it takes, I mean, my simpleton brain much to be pushed, but I mean, it's like, these guys are out there and they're really pushing the, the the framework of the music how far should we take the improvisation and so forth did that answer your question in any way shape or form absolutely I, okay I, I just i wrote down everything you said and so now that's if i go to music school that's going to be my entire thesis <laughs> okay that's <laughs> well in I'll, spare time when he goes to music right school. yeah mm-hmm. and all that free time i've got but yeah uh, I just I, I have to end it with this because I, I appreciate, you know, you said all of that in way more eloquently than if I had Googled it and tried to say it myself and try to figure okay. all that out. So I, I will as we go into our three questions, I will just say you've been Pat Splained. He asks each traveler five questions, three questions, three questions. It's impossible to answer. It's impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, and, and I don't want the pat splaining thing to sound like it's it's a negative. I enjoy being pat splained <laughs> because I know no I, worries, I, man. I, I feel I like I learn something about music every time. I work in a school, and I've just been taken to school, and I, <laughs> and 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 thus endeth the lesson, though. So. So thank you. I, I can't wait. Listen, I can't wait to listen to Dick Tracy now. <laughs> okay, what you need, what you John, what you need to understand is, 
I think you were. Hey, I man. think you were just trying to defend Danny, Danny Elfman, and you were like, "Okay, what you need to understand is, is that he did Batman, <laughs> and he did Darkman, and he did Dick Tracy Man, all in like the same year." And when you're putting out that kind of content, and when you're like scoring a movie <laughs> like that, then you just you cannot do something that's vastly different. But it was kind of like that. It was like. You were you were okay. explaining to me how you can't do three completely different compositions. They're naturally going to sound the same, and I'm and, and I'm like I'm like all right, that's cool. I don't care. I just <laughs> okay, okay, man. Was 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 I was I using my calm but still light right voice? Yeah, like yeah. Pat, it's okay. Yeah, I'm real calm. What like what? what? Yeah, I think so. I'm, this is my calm voice. I think so. Okay, yeah. yeah. Dennis gives me a hard time yeah. for that. The one little incident with the police and all that kind of stuff. Supposedly, I had a tone. Okay. Like, wh- just explain it to me. Like, what? No, it it, it like, didn't turn into a John. You're out of your element here. Okay, it, it didn't turn into that. So. <laughs> Which, when it comes oh to when it comes to music, I will readily admit I'm out of my element here. Well, me too. So. You're like a child that walks into a movie. All right. Question number one: If you could instantly know how to play any instrument, which would you choose? And I know how to play zero instruments, so the world is... What are you going to choose? The world is my to? oyster, basically. Um, I think I would choose electric guitar. Yeah. I, I want to, you know, I have a guitar that sits behind my chair in the living room, and I think I've touched it maybe, maybe twice in the last year. And I got myself a little music app and was trying to teach myself a little bit, and then once again, life happened, and the car the guitar is now back there. I need to just put like a bowl of fruit next to it and have it be like an art installation, because um, mm-hmm. it's not going anywhere and it's not being played. Um, but uh, if I could instantly know how to play it, I want to. I just want to play a whole bunch of slash guitar solos. Nice. That's that's yeah, that's man. where I want to live. So that's me. Me uh, for me, it's the electric guitar. Although cool. I will, and I will throw in as a very close second, almost like a, a 1.1 uh, option is uh, violin. Like if yeah. if I could instantly play one of my favorite movies um, that I haven't watched in a while, I'd like I'd like to go back and watch it again. Is uh, the Red Violin? Mm. I really like that movie. Like that, I liked the violin before as an instrument and as a sound. After watching that movie, I'm like, man, I really like the violin. That's cool. But yeah, I'd love to play Irish fiddle music, you know, like just that to just be. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I got to take back all my answers. Thank you, Pat, for Pat explaining me once more. (laughs) Why? Are you going to say, like, (laughs) if I could instantly know how to play any instrument, I would choose the bagpipes. I was going to say the bagpipes, Uh, right? I cannot believe I didn't answer that before. And and my bagpipes would be the kind that has flames shooting out of it when you play it. James Bond bagpipes. Sure. Yeah. Nice. Okay, that's my answer. All right, Bo. What what instrument are you learning? You know, I think I'm gonna stick in the same realm that John started. Excuse me. What do you, Good grief. you think it's late or something? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna say guitar. Okay. Uh, probably acoustic. Mm-hmm. It's one that I've always wanted to do and just haven't ever picked up. So if I could just know it without spending any time, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I love the sound of just a, a well-played guitar, just just playing a song. So. Um, 
yeah, that'd be cool. Cool, man. So, Pat, like, what instrument that you don't know would you just love to be able to just pick up and go? Pat, who, I Pat, this Pat who plays his uh, trumpet while he's driving home sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, um, I gave it a lot of thought. Humbly speaking, I just wish one day I could know how to play the trumpet. I think I'm just going to leave it at that after some of the practice sessions and all that kind of thing. It's just like one of these days, it would be just really nice to be able to play this thing. So I had a guy tell me when we had a rough day at the practice rooms one time, he's like, you know what, the way I see it, I'm just going to keep playing my instrument. So I figure by the time I'm a hundred years old, I'll have played this for 90 years. You can't do something for 90 years and still be terrible at it. So that's that's what I'm banking on. And that line of logic worked with me. So I'm just going to hang in there and it, you know, hold, hold, after hold on. after 90 years I might be able to, you know, hold, scratch hold, one hold out. Hold on, has he seen a Cubs game? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well played. And, there it is. And I say that as a Cubs fan. Well played. Yes, you can do that's something right. for 90 years and do it poorly. <laughs> Hey, they won a championship after after 100. about a, <laughs> yeah. yeah what was the final number is that 104 years 100 yeah something like that oh man 100, 108 years yeah yeah it was 108 yeah, it was 108, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, bloody goat uh-huh right all right uh let's see we had uh jason colvin had chimed in on facebook and said easy call electric guitar yeah so, yeah i i would love to one day just rock out in a field in front of a white church just like slash does yeah man I, that's the way I, to do I it i got several problems there i i don't have a leather jacket anymore my hair is not that long and i don't know how to play the guitar mm. and i three strikes and you're and out i feel like if i le- i'm i'm looking at a gif of it right now of him playing i think that might be for the the is it november rain might be um I, I don't know how he's leaning that far back as he's playing the electric guitar. I, I feel like I'd fall over. Well, but there's a scene in Spinal I, Tap. I, I feel like there's a I, scene I in like, Spinal well, Tap. Where, doesn't there a scene where he falls over and the guy, the roadie, has to come and lift him back up? I think up? so. Yeah. Yeah. Now, granted, sounds right. Granted, the difference, one of the many differences between myself and Slash, is we probably have a very different uh, center of gravity. So that I'll give you that, that. Also, may be an issue. Uh, not an issue just a challenge to overcome yeah yeah you've been bosplay <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> well that was a, that was more of a motivational statement so maybe we'd have to do something like bo motivate you've been motivated <laughs> motivated oh, i think that's go. i think that's you know because that was just that quiet confidence. No, it's yeah. just a different challenge. Yeah. Right. See, yeah. I could I can get pat splained, I can get motivated, and then when it's my turn, it's I get super serious. I'm like, look, read my lips. That's it. You just read my lips. There you go. <laughs> so that's t- <laughs> title of some type of a video I don't want to go into. Um all right, so question number two. Yes. It's the back of the video store. Uh, Question number two, favorite jazz musician or favorite piece of music? Um, Now, I will tell you that uh, as I'm recording here, the SD card that I have only has like, what what, what am I looking at here? 
it only has like 14 minutes left right now before I have to like clear some space off of it. So we can't go the full two hours that you may need to go, Pat. So you may have to do, yeah. you may have to truncate your comments here. So favorite jazz. Yeah. And you've already helped me answer mine, so I'll put mine out there right now. I just wanted to double check and make sure. Uh, my backup, who I was fairly confident is considered jazz, would have been Miles Davis. Um, but one of my favorite musicians ever of all time is Nat King Cole. So that's going to be my answer is Nat King Cole. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That guy's awesome. Bo, what about yourself? So I, uh, not knowing a whole lot of jazz, um, sadly, I enjoy it. I just don't know a lot of it. Um, there's a chart that I heard years ago, um, the Libertyville High School Jazz Band played it. Um, I think I've mentioned it to you before many moons ago. It's uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Okay. Is the name of the piece. Um, I've never really found a really good professional recording of it. I found, I think I have one in my iPod somewhere. Mm-hmm. Usually when you find it, it's high school jazz bands. So it must be a rather simple chart compared okay. to others. But I just love the sound of it. There's a great opening riff. Um, that it's just, I don't know, something about the way it's arranged. I just like that piece. Mm-hmm. Always been something I've enjoyed. Cool. That's really cool. Uh, so on to question three then, right? <laughs> I, you know what? I Given I, our limited time we have left, yes, maybe. <laughs> no, uh, no, I mean, ahead. so... I started, yeah, I started listening to jazz music young. I mean, my grandmother was huge into the big band swing era. And so I remember her taking me to concerts and I just got it. Like the first time I heard it, it was like, you know, I was just like, I want to hear more of that. And so whenever we were together, she'd play those records and tell me about that. And then that was, that was the music that I loved growing up. And then when I got to high school, it was like, wait, there's a jazz band. (gasps) And, uh, then it was my freshman year. I went to a jazz festival at New Trier and Maynard Ferguson was the guest artist. And uh, Maynard is, was a, he's passed now, a fantastic trumpet player. And uh, after, I mean, I heard that concert and that was like everything in Pat's life changed. I mean, that was like, I, I wasn't even really planning to go into music. I just loved music and wanted to play it and have it be a part of my life. And that was like, I heard that concert and it was like, okay, like I have to go into music. You know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do because I'm a freshman in high school. I had, you know, teaching and all. Anyways, Maynard Ferguson was a huge influence into just really turning my love of jazz music up to 11 and then through high school. And then obviously I got to college and then it just became more just, you know, sort of like Neo kind of getting plugged in and he learns the first thing and, oh, I think he likes it. You want more? Uh, yeah, heck yeah. And, and it was just uh, just every artist I could listen to. And, you know, I played trumpet, so I listened to a lot of trumpet players. And it was just like, you know, I finally got to college and then, you know, friends were just like, well, dude, why aren't you listening to saxophone play? Like, you should be listening to saxophone players. And then it was like, suddenly that opened up. And then it was like, okay, why am I not listening to any rhythm section guys? Oh, I got to listen to this. And, and so... I mean, my answer would be yes. Miles Davis was one of my, you know, all-time favorite artists. But I mean, you look at Miles, like he was always changing styles. Like almost every album was like a different style. And then, you know, you get the bebop guys, Jizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker. You get the 
hard bop guys, you get Clifford Brown, you get the swing guys, you know, I mean, I'm just starting to like just name drop. And so, I mean, I love all of it. I like, I love it all. And I, I'm just going to say like, seriously, and I, I get on a mission and I get on a rant with it, but it's like, man, it's, it's, it's America's art form. Like it's something beautiful that we've given the world, you know, and it reflects our country, you know, like, like how it came to be. And so I just, I just encourage people that like, it's, it's time obviously is a factor now. Right. But I mean, it's so easy. Go on Google top 100 jazz albums of all time, and then just go to YouTube and type the first album in and listen to it. And if you like it, cool. If not, okay, go to the next, you know, and just find stuff or, 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 you know, like, like you can branch off and, 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 you know, if you like, like John, you mentioned, you know, like, like in Nat King Cole, like the vocal thing, you know, you can listen to vocals and you can go with that. Like Bo, you know, you said you mentioned like the sound of these, you know, kind of like a big band thing, like listen to other big band tunes by that composer or something, you know what I'm saying? Like, and not that I'm trying to give you guys homework, no. that's not my intention, no, but that's like you. what I do. Like I'll talk, you know, I'll talk to my friends and, that was one of the things I loved in college is you'd just get together. And it was like, dude, listen to this album. Let's listen to this. And I'll, when I'm talking to my friends, I'm like, yeah, I have a lot of so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, but I don't like, what am I missing? Oh, well, have you listened to much Freddie Hubbard? No, I haven't listened to much Freddie Hubbard. Oh, here are the three albums. You, you know, pick one. These are great. Oh, you have this Count Basie album. You have, Oh, check out this Count Basie album. This is fantastic. And I mean, it's, um, so I'm, I'm trying to keep under the 14 minutes, but like an answer to my favorite jazz artist, it, yes. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I just, I sincerely like, I love it all. And like, yeah, I can pick favorite composer. I can f- pick favorite band, you know, favorite rock band and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to jazz, it's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it's just all, all of it. I love it all. So yeah. that's my answer and I'm sticking to hey. it. That works. All right. Question number three. Favorite movie about a musician, real or fictional? My answer for this one is almost always going to be Amadeus. I love that. I've said that before. I love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I will, however, because I feel like on, on some recent episodes, I feel like Amadeus was my answer to another of the three questions. So I'm going to change that up this time. And one that I've seen recently that I really enjoyed and actually saw twice in the theater, um, which I don't tend to do quite as much. Well, I don't do any of it nowadays, but, um, you know, seeing something multiple times in the theater is unless it's a Star Wars movie. It's a little rare now. Um, the movie Yesterday, uh, the, the mm. one where the guy, you know, he somehow he wakes up and the world does not know who the Beatles are and he starts singing the Beatles songs and I. I really enjoy that movie. It's just, it's a fun movie. Um, it, it's very, it, it's a very just innocent, pure hearted movie um, about love of music and, and love of the Beatles in particular. Um, so I'm going to pick that one. I'm going to pick that one as my fictional favorite movie about a musician. Cool. Very cool. Um, as we sit here, I have two musician movies on my DVR upstairs that I really want to watch and haven't yet. Um, I have Rocket Man mm. sitting up there waiting for me and uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Both yes. 
ready to watch. I've not seen either one. Yeah, I, I haven't either, so I'll be curious when you watch them. It, it's important to know that what I'm about to say means I haven't seen those yet yeah. because I I feel like at least one of those has potential to uh, to maybe be really good, if mm-hmm. not both of them, yeah. honestly. But today, um, I I came up with a longer list than I thought I would, some more humorous than others, but I think the more I thought about it, like the best movie um, music themed musician, um, Walk the Line, Johnny Cash, mm-hmm. uh, the Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon mm-hmm. movie was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually surprised how many musician movies I hadn't seen. I was looking at a list at one point. I was like, whoa, I got some work to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Walk the Line for sure was the first one to pop into my head. Cool. And it's funny, you mentioned yesterday, Walk um, and Rocket Man, and the one other one you mentioned. Bohemian um, Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. I have not seen those either. Yeah. So I'll, you know, um, yeah, I'll have to check those out. I, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, um, you know, I, 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 I like this movie a whole lot and it really, and I kind of, I expected like, Oh, I'm going to talk about jazz, but even just this most recent rewatch, um, this movie really, you know, I really enjoyed it. Um, even on like it, like even, I don't want to say more or on a different level, but uh, that I think is the most uh, a- accurate way is just to say, I-, I think this one would be up there. I really, really enjoyed the James Brown um, biopic mm. that came out a number of years mm-hmm. back. And I can't, I can't remember what the name of it was. Mm. Um, I- I'm going to, this is going to be the podcast where we Google things, yeah. but uh, I-, I just, I can't remember the name of that. But I'll tell you, the one that I think takes the cake um, for me is the Blues Brothers. Get on oh, up. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to stop. Yeah, yep. Get on Up was the name of the James Brown one. Yes. And that that was great. I mean, it was just – and I think what really got me with that is – I mean, it was fun kind of seeing James Brown's story being told and all that, but just fantastic music and um, – just some of the some of the scenes where they showed them on like them performing i mean there were some really neat uh arrangements in there oh but i'm forgetting about ray mm, oh man i'm yeah. forgetting about the ray charles one too that one was great i don't know if you guys caught yeah, that it's called that ray it was good. that's another one that i have and jamie, jamie um what's his name jamie yeah. fox jamie fox does some of the singing yeah you know and so i mean that's oh shoot okay you know what? Then I'm just going to have to say it's all good. And I'm just going to have to go with the Blues Brothers. I mean, I still think the Blues Brothers is just such a wonderful, iconic, classic, all the superlatives, just a fantastic um, uh, movie. You know, it's uh, and the music in it was just I mean, you think about what they did with that movie. Holy buckets. That was that was great. So they look like they're from the CIA or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right all right don't you blaspheme yeah. in here now this yeah. is my man yeah. and my restaurant and you're gonna go and you're gonna leave right now you're not getting your farm fried chickens and a coke and you're not getting your dry white toast and you're not getting guitar murphy yep oh shut up woman 
you better think. Oh, and if, then they just cut into it. And y'all want any, oh man, y'all want, y'all want anything to drink with that? No, ma'am, a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah, so Ray many, Charles was in that so one too. James Brown was the preacher. Yeah. I love that scene. That was my grandmother's favorite scene in that whole movie. Oh, <laughs> she grew was, up in churches like that, so that was one of her favorite scenes. Yeah, yeah. And they had uh, Cab Calloway. Yeah, was the was Otis the the yeah, and he had the time he sang in there. Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna go Blues Brothers. Okay. That fantastic movie in All there right. or music in there. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode. So thank you for joining us for Mo' Better Blues. Um, if you want to catch us, 30podcast.com, at 30podcast on social media. Voicemail line is 872-356-6843. Uh, coming up, we've got our Kids Month, uh, Kindergarten Cop, Home Alone, DuckTales, the movie Problem Child. And if you're looking way ahead, it's Pat's favorite time of year, Horror Month in October. We've got The Witches, Ooh. Stephen King's It, Jacob's Ladder, Tremors, and Misery. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for being here with me tonight, for joining me on the stage here. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. All right. Everybody, be excellent to each other and go watch some good movies, and we will see you back here next time.